This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Dryosaurus, as well as an in-depth review of The Good Dinosaur. So if you haven't seen that movie yet, you'll probably want to skip over the beginning of this episode so we don't spoil anything for you. Yeah, and just really quickly, though, thank you to our patrons. We really appreciate all your support. And just once again, if you want to support I Know Dino, please go to patreon.com slash I Know Dino. And we hope that everybody in the U.S. had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I know we did. We got to see the good dinosaur. (laughs) Oh, and one other thing. I recently submitted our podcast to Google Play because they're launching a podcast platform for Google Play Music, I think. And when I did that, I realized that we had the wrong email address in our RSS feed. So it might have been misspelled. So if anyone tried to email us, you might have gotten a bounce back. So it's now correct. It's supposed to be plesiosaur, but it was kind of like pleiosaur. (laughs) So it's fixed now. Feel free to email us. So we're just going to jump straight into our review of the good dinosaur. As of this recording... On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 76% in their certified fresh logo, although the average user rating is a six and a half. And on Metacritic, it's got a 66%, but the average user score is a (laughs) 7.6, which is kind of funny because they're like exact opposites, but average out to about, you know, two thirds to three quarters of the people liked it. Apparently, though, The Good Dinosaur didn't make quite as much as they were expecting at the box office. But it did do really well. It still did over $56 million in the U.S. over Thanksgiving weekend. So generally, first off, I would say that it's definitely worth seeing at least once. If you have a kid, you'll probably end up seeing it like a hundred times over and over and over again. <laughs> once it's out on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever you get. Sabrina and I actually generally liked Inside Out a little bit better than The Good Dinosaur. Well, they're two very different movies. I think The Good Dinosaur, the visual effects were really stunning. All of the animation, all of the backgrounds, everything. And then, of course, it was very character-driven. So the relationship between Arlo and Spot was very well done and fleshed out and just overall a really beautiful and emotional movie. But Inside Out was, in terms of the storyline, just a little more complex. Yeah, and they had said that originally they had three separate storylines. and In The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, in The Good Dinosaur they had three separate storylines. 
but then it got too complex and they ended up trying to power it way down. And in my opinion, I think they just went a little bit too far, maybe, because the main thing I want to see when I'm watching one of these dinosaur movies is lots of different dinosaurs and different stuff going on. But probably 80% of this movie was the dinosaur and the boy kind of interacting, which was interesting, but it wasn't really dinosaur-y. <laughs> well, I think what it was was there are a lot of really great moments, either funny or sad or whatever. They all go for a certain emotion, but they were all very short. So Spot and Arlo, they go through a lot on this journey, and we see their relationship develop throughout the journey. But it all happens in these quick moments. But definitely overall, it was a really good movie. Definitely worth seeing. We're comparing it to Inside Out because that's the other Pixar movie that came out this year. And it's the first time that two Pixar movies have ever come out in the same year. And in this case, they even had the same screenwriter. So they had a lot in common. And they're both very good movies. We liked Inside Out a little bit better as a movie. But obviously, as dinosaur enthusiasts, <laughs> this movie was great. What I also liked about this movie is there's this relationship between Arlo and his father. And just again, big spoiler alert, Arlo's father passes away early on in the movie. That kind of sets him on his journey, sets Arlo on his journey. And there's this whole idea of his father wants to make Arlo brave and face his fears, and that's the only way he can become an adult. But then, interestingly, Arlo eventually ends up in the company of three T-Rexes, and he learns that it's okay to be scared, so long as you can still deal with everything with life. But it's okay to embrace your emotions, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, the beginning of the movie reminded me a lot of The Lion King, partly because of that the father passing away in kind of a dramatic way. Also, the land before time, the way the mother passes away. Yeah, but in both of those movies, I think it was done a little bit more... It was a little more heartbreaking, I think, because we saw a little bit more between the child and the parent before the death. Yeah, exactly. And in this one, they kind of, rather than showing stuff before, they relied on a lot of flashbacks to that moment to show what Arlo was thinking, and that... Yeah, I'm not a big fan of flashbacks, so it was, you know, I think it would have been nicer if they showed more of their relationship than doing a lot of flashbacks later. Another thing that is just kind of a pet peeve, <laughs> since we're big into dinosaurs, is they're pretty specific about the time period. They showed the 65 million year old point, obviously, when the KT extinction happened in real life. Then they show the meteor go by, and then they say millions of years later, and then they show the humans popping up. So the biggest problem I had with that was they have all these dinosaurs that weren't actually around 65 million years ago. So my favorite character in the film was the Styracosaurus, but that actually went extinct 75 million years ago. And the main character is supposed to be an Apatosaurus that went extinct way before that. There's also mention of T-Rexes fighting off Stegosauruses and the Stegosaurus definitely didn't live at the same time as T-Rex. Yeah, and we're talking like, I think we mentioned in one of our first episodes, the difference between the Stegosaurus and T-Rex is actually more than the T-Rex and humans. So <laughs> showing the Stegosaurus with the T-Rex is kind of goofy because that's even less true than what they're trying to portray in the movie. Well, they didn't show it. It was just a kind of a small mention, but we picked up on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> that is what we do. The other thing was Arlo was very lizard-like, which I guess you could attribute to maybe dinosaurs had they lived longer and evolved, maybe they did become more lizard-like. But it was interesting to see him so sprawled out for much of the movie. Yeah, and to that end, you know, if it had been millions of years, long enough for humans to evolve, even if we did have Apatosaurus and Styracosaurus and Stegosaurus all 65 million years ago, they probably would have evolved into something else. So I just kind of wish they did something a little bit more interesting with the dinosaurs, either picking all dinosaurs from 65 million years ago or, you know, just coming up with new dinosaurs that would have evolved out of them. Just it kind of reinforces some. I think the new dinosaurs were the feathered ones, the wranglers, or not the wranglers, what they call it. The rustlers. The rustlers who stole... So the, the family of T-Rexes had some longhorns that they were herding, and these rustlers had stolen the herd. And the rustlers were covered in feathers and looked like some kind of raptor and were also the most colorful dinosaurs in the movie. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think in the movie they specifically call out the dinosaur species as much as they do in some of the like PR material. Because in the movie they all just have names. They rarely say, other than the time Sabrina pointed out, where they were talking about... Uh, stegos. Yeah, the stegos. When they ran into the T-Rexes, they didn't say like, oh, that's a T-Rex. And they didn't say like, oh, we're a family of Apatosaurus. You just kind of infer it usually. Yeah. Although, again, the T-Rexes were portrayed as being very tripod. Yeah. And well, so were the apatosaurs for that matter. They stood, you know, like... Tails dragging. And necks almost straight up in the air and everything. And then they had that weird thing where they're dragging their nose through the dirt all the time, but their tail was dragging on the ground anyway, so that didn't... That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another interesting thing. There was a weird little bit where there was like a crocodile tooth jammed into one of the T-Rex's gums that was like sort of permanently in there. And since they lost teeth all the time, I thought that was kind of weird that they acted like this tooth would be stuck there for such a long time when they went through teeth so quickly. That said, we didn't have a problem with the idea of humans and dinosaurs living together. I know there's some paleontologists who did say that this would have been impossible, although I think in the articles I read they also said, well, we'll still see the movie. <laughs> So the paleontologist said that had the asteroid never hit, dinosaurs would have continued to thrive, and the small mammals that were living at the time wouldn't have had the chance to grow and diversify, which would mean no primates, no humans, and the mammals that were living at the time would have lived more in the shadows. But it was still enjoyable to watch, and The Good Dinosaur isn't the only media that has portrayed dinosaurs with humans. Bustle has an interesting list to put together, and actually says that Good Dinosaur may be the best example of the two coexisting yet. And others include Gertie the Dinosaur, which came out in 1914, The Lost World, King Kong, Godzilla, The Flintstones, Land of the Lost, Jurassic Park, of course, and Terra Nova, which was this interesting TV show from 2011 where people had to travel back in time because their Earth was out of resources. And Garrett and I enjoyed, actually, the animation of the dinosaurs quite a bit, but unfortunately that only lasted one season. <laughs> yeah, and the dinosaurs weren't around in that many of the episodes or that much of it. But yeah, the coexisting thing, you kind of have to give them a pass on that. And I'm not really completely convinced that it would have been totally impossible anyway, because there were mammals around at the time. So maybe there may not have been, you know, 
humans exactly as we are now. But the humans that were around, or the quote-unquote humans that were around in the movie were much smaller, it looked like, than what humans are today, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's hard it's to tell hard when for scale <laughs> when the human is also always next to a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you looked back at our origins, you know, there were saber-toothed tigers and those terror birds. And lo- there were lots of these vicious animals that you might think just looking at a fleshy human without claws or anything would have been easily killed by these other animals. But, you know, we still managed. So I don't think it's that big of a leap. I was more annoyed with the dinosaur details than I was with the concept of it. So like I was saying, I think my favorite character was named Forrest Woodbush, who was actually voiced by the director Peter Sone. And he played the Styracosaurus, who was totally crazy. And I was surprised it was the director because he did such a good job acting. I also really liked Arlo and Spot. I thought they did a really good job. And the rest of Arlo's family, other sauropods, did a really good job. I wasn't as thrilled with the T-Rex dinosaurs, but I always liked Sam Elliott, who was kind of the lead in the group. And then the pterosaurs were pretty, like, over-the-top crazy but they were pretty fun, too. I thought they were entertaining. Yeah. There was also a scene at the end that was kind of like Jaws, but upside down. Yeah. You see the pterosaurs, their beaks poking out through cloud cover. So even though the story was fairly simple, it was meant to be simple, and there actually wasn't too much dialogue because they're trying to play up on the emotional side more. So again, relying on the beautiful visuals as well as the music and What was great about that was that you could see, especially in Spot, these both human and animal-like qualities. For example, Spot basically goes and fetches Arlo food or climbs up and curls up around Arlo. But also there's this one really emotional scene where they're communicating to each other about their families and what happened to their families. And in Spot's case, he had two parents, but they both passed away. And after he shows that to Arlo, he kind of sniffs, which is this human way of showing an emotion. And the two learn a lot from each other. They're in this, as one writer said, it's this homeward bound kind of journey. They're relying on each other to get back home. In an interview on The Nerdist, the director, Peter Stone, said that, quote, story making is very much therapy. And so the idea is you have these fears as a kid, you try to understand and grow even as an adult, and that kind of translates to Arlo in the movie. So again, as Garrett had mentioned earlier, it was the same screenwriter who wrote both Inside Out and Good Dinosaur, Meg Lefauve, but she didn't do this at the same time. She actually worked on The Good Dinosaur after wrapping up Inside Out, and she said that this was a director's medium, so there was, quote, pressure to articulate that, end quote. So some differences, we discussed this a little bit, but Inside Out obviously has many characters in two different worlds. You've got inside Riley's brain and then the outside world compared to the good dinosaur that was simple and character driven. So that must have been an interesting jump for her to make. Yeah, and I think that's probably what makes the good dinosaur a little bit better for kids. We actually had a copy of the Golden Book. (laughs) Yeah, if you see our Patreon page, I posted a picture. We made a Thanksgiving centerpiece around it. Yeah. 
And I think the Golden Book was a great story. And it's basically the movie summarized in 30 or so color pages. But it hits all the key parts of the book. And when you lay it out that way, you're like, yeah, this is the, you know, an excellent kid story. It's got all the right teachable moments and it's got really interesting characters and they're doing fun stuff. Like there's the scene where they eat berries that they don't realize are either going bad or are hallucinogenic for some other reason. And so it's really funny and I think well done as a story. And especially for a story directed at children, kind of getting that empathy for the two characters and seeing how they interact and they have to work together and how they're both better at the end of it. It's true. When we were in the theater, too, I think there was like a four-year-old girl sitting behind us making fun commentary along with the movie. Yeah. And I think it was a better movie for kids than some of the other Pixar movies might be. Like, maybe Inside Out might be a little bit complex. There was a lot of higher-level jokes and things going on. But with The Good Dinosaur, it was, like, exactly, you know, it was completely relatable for any age. You know, you could really understand exactly what was going on at all levels of the film. Yeah, that's interesting. So in one of the interviews I read... Peterson, the director, he had said that another thing that makes this Pixar movie different from other Pixar movies is that the characters were actually younger. I think Arlo is supposed to be around 11 years old. And whereas other Pixar movies tend to have characters that are adults or at least adult age like like in Toy Story, Woody and yeah. Buzz are adults. And they make comments that you would expect an adult to make rather than a child. I think really what it was was I was expecting more of those hidden things or little subtle comments that a lot of Pixar movies put in for the older audience, and this didn't really have it. But that wasn't really the point of the movie, so I'm probably judging it too harshly. <laughs> Could be. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Just a fun, quick fact. This year was the first time Pixar has released two movies in one year. So Inside Out, obviously, and Good Dinosaur. The last time it was a back-to-back -back release was in 2008 and 2009 with Wally -E and Up. Which I didn't realize it had been that long since those movies came out. Apparently, if you were at the Disney World Resort on November 22nd, you had the opportunity to see a special preview of The Good Dinosaur. So if anyone listening got to see that, please tell us how it went. Sounds like that would have been a lot of fun. There's at least one article speculating that there could be a lot of dinosaur tie-ins in the future. Already in the Animal Kingdom in Florida, there's Dinoland USA, for example, and you can see an animatronic dinosaur diorama on the train ride in Disneyland. So maybe there will be more dinosaur rides in the future. That would be really awesome. Yeah, there's definitely a lot they could expand on with the characters and with all the dinosaur and just last, as a fun little thing, Garrett and I took two different Good Dinosaur character quizzes, one on YayOMG and one on the Disney blog. We both ended up with Spot as our character in both quizzes. <laughs> Some of the questions include, how many times have you aggressively roared today? Or are you more likely to want to watch some fireflies or go whitewater rafting? How do you like your eggs? One of the answers was hatching a baby dinosaur. I liked that. I put that too. <laughs> but then there's also like, what kind of cookies do you like? <laughs> Some kind of interesting ones. Also, is your best quality courage or loyalty? Well, we'll post the links. Basically, Spot is really independent and loyal. Also spontaneous. 
Yeah, Arlo was, a l- I think what they were going for there was Arlo was a little more reserved and scared. <laughs> Could be. So overall, I would definitely say go see The Good Dinosaur, especially if you have kids. It's very much a kid's movie. I think Jurassic World is the kind of monster dinosaur movie. This is the exact opposite of that in every possible way. <laughs> yep, the dinosaurs are very cuddly. So if you had a kid that really wanted to go see Jurassic World and you were uncomfortable taking them to such a scary movie, The Good Dinosaur is perfect, and go see it. Once it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm sure we'll buy it right away. Review the disc, too, and all the special features. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun to see all the making of and stuff like that. It's always fascinating. Oh, definitely. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. (laughs) And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So now on to our dinosaur of the day, Dryosaurus. And the name Dryosaurus means tree lizard, and that's because of the habitat it lived in, forest, and not the fact that it had oak leaf-like shaped cheek teeth, which is what some people have said. It lived in the Jurassic. Samuel Wendell Williston in Wyoming found ornithopod fossils in 1876, and Charles Marsh named them a new species of Laosaurus, a hypsilophodont, in 1878. It was originally called Laosaurus altus. Altus means tall. But then in 1894, Marsh made it its own genus, Dryosaurus, which is an iguanodont. The type species, therefore, is Dryosaurus altus. The holotype is a partial skeleton with a mostly complete skull and lower jaws, and other specimens have been found, like the rear half of skeletons and partial skeletons. 
Other species have been named as part of the Dryosaurus genus. One was on an accident. In 1903, Giuseppe de accidentally renamed Crocodilius phosphaticus to Dryosaurus phosphaticus, but he meant to call it Dirosaurus phosphaticus. And then Eric Bofutat changed it to the correct Dirosaurus phosphaticus in 1981. Also, Valdosaurus canalicolatus and Dysolotaurus Letovorbeckai, which we talked about in episode 20, used to be considered Dryosaurus. Fossils have been found in the U.S. Dryosaurus fossils have also been found in Tanzania, sort of. In 1995, paleontologist Peter Galton wrote the paper The Ornithopod Dinosaur Dryosaurus and a Laurasia-Gondwanaland Connection in the Upper Jurassic. And this paper compared Desalitosaurus, Letovorbeckai, from Tanzania, East Africa, to Dryosaurus from the Morrison Formation in North America and found similarities, which he considered more evidence of a land connection between Laurasia and Gondwana in the Upper Jurassic period. Dryosaurus had a long neck, long legs, and a long stiff tail. It was about 8 to 14 feet or 2.4 to 4.3 meters long and weighed 170 to 200 pounds or 77 to 91 kilograms. A dig site was found near Irvine, Colorado, and it has hundreds of Dryosaurus altus fossils with specimens from all ages. All known specimens of Dryosaurus were still growing, so it's unclear how big a fully grown adult could get. But it was an herbivore with a beak and cheek teeth, and possibly cheek-like structures to hold food in its mouth. It ate low-growing vegetation. It had short arms with five digits on each hand and three toes. It was a fast runner, and it used its tail to counterbalance, so running away was probably its main defense. They may have traveled in herds, and they may have taken care of their young. Eggs have been found in hypsilophodonted nests. And again, Dryosaurus was really considered a hypsilophodont. At Dinosaur National Monument in Utah, scientists found a Dryosaurus hatchling, which shows that, like other vertebrates, baby Dryosaurus had large eyes and a small snout, and as it grew up, its eyes became proportionately smaller and its snout proportionally longer. So, in other words, very cute and cartoon-like. Dinosaurs that lived along Dryosaurus was Camptosaurus, Stegosaurus, and Othnilosaurus. Predators included Torvosaurus, Marshosaurus and Allosaurus. You can see a juvenile skull of Dryosaurus at the Carnegie Museum. The juvenile skulls tend to be harder to find because they're more fragile. Though we have talked about in general how bodies, juvenile bodies, tend to be easier to find because they're smaller. Yeah, so you can fossilize the area easier than an 80-foot-long patch. But I guess with skulls, since they're all pretty fossilizable size, (laughs) (laughs) it's... It must come down to the fragility that impacts it more. Yeah. There's also a mounted adult Dryosaurus at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, and it's the only mounted Dryosaurus altus. In August 2014, Dryosaurus was 3D printed. Paleontologist Jeffrey Parker and Kirk Brown from Go Engineer, a Stratasys retailer of 3D printers, printed a model of Dryosaurus that Parker had found in Wyoming. And they scanned pieces of the Dryosaurus skull and bones and then printed it, 20 files printed in five batches. Dryosaurus was the largest dinosaur 3D printed at Go Engineer. It was 50 inches by 15 inches. And according to Parker on the Stratasys blog, quote, 3D printing allows a paleontologist to quickly reproduce a fossil bone that can be used for academic study and for building museum exhibits that can be enjoyed by everyone. Having a 3D printer is like having your own little robot factory, end quote. Go Engineer printed two Dryosaurus skeletons, one for Parker to study and one to display for their customers. And next, Parker plans to print more 3D dinosaurs and create a tableau. He plans to print two Allosaurs and a Ceratosaur. So that'll be really cool to see when that happens. 
So Dryosaurus is part of Dryosauridae, which is not to be confused with Dirosauridae, which is a family of extinct crocodiliforms. Dryosaurids were primitive iguanodonts, and they lived in the Jurassic and Cretaceous in Africa, Europe, and North America. Iguanodonts were herbivores that lived in the Jurassic and Cretaceous, and they included Camptosaurus, Iguanodon, and Tenotosaurus. And our fun fact of the day relates a little bit back to Jurassic Park, specifically where they show the mosquitoes sucking on a dinosaur and then getting trapped in amber. So it's not just mosquitoes that may have bothered dinosaurs. There's also evidence from coprolite that they may have been infected with worms or maybe tapeworms, as well as evidence from some bones that they may have gotten lesions in their mouth and throat from other parasites. So, yeah, it wasn't, even though they were so big, they still could have been in, bothered by these little tiny parasites, just like modern animals. Except no way to swat them away, so that would have been annoying. <laughs> it's true. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thank you so much for listening. And again, if you want to support us, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good day.